This is the Empowered Athlete Podcast, hosted by yours truly, the one and only Natty Boss, lifelong athlete, sports dietitian, breathwork facilitator, personal development junkie, and holistic performance coach. This podcast is here to change the paradigm of what it means to be a high-performance athlete. The intention and mission of this podcast is to help you create freedom, clarity, and balance in your life while giving you the tools to heal yourself, improve your well-being, and optimize performance. I believe that in order to reach our highest potential in this human experience, we must unlearn and let go of everything we've been conditioned to believe about ourselves and the world so that we can truly tap into what our divine path is and have the courage to pursue the curriculum of our soul. It's my hope that after every episode, you feel activated and empowered to make change in your life that supports you in operating from a place of alignment of who you're meant to be. Get ready for major shifts and transformation. It's time to dive in. Welcome back to the Empowered Athlete Podcast. It's your host, Natty Boss. And today we have a special guest, Miss Melissa Biscardi. She is going to speak to us today about all things concussion recovery, which is really prevalent in our sport, unfortunately as well as just brain health. And she's an expert in these areas. So I'm really excited to have her on here today. A little bit about Melissa. She's a registered nurse, an osteopathic therapist who focuses on concussion rehabilitation, long COVID and brain optimization as well. She's a private practice in Toronto, Canada. And virtually she works with busy go-getters aiming to reclaim their brain health. She also acts as a mentor to clinicians teaching workshops and through her concussion mentorship program and workshops that she hosts. She focuses on, as I mentioned, brain rehabilitation from a functional perspective that is getting things working better without the use of medication. So going back to that holistic concept that I teach and preach about, which is why we're having her on here, because our philosophies very much align. And that's why we're bringing her on. And she's massively passionate about providing patients with effective evidence-based and personalized care, which is something that I appreciate as well. And she's published numerous research articles and three book chapters covering different aspects of brain health, including concussion, dementia, injury prevention, and aging with brain injury. Super cool. She's completed a master of science focusing on women's hormones post-concussion, And she's currently pursuing her PhD at the University of Toronto, focusing on interventions for adults with concussions. She also is a host of the Brainiac podcast. And make sure you give that one a listen. And I'll make sure I put that in the show notes with her other information to reach out to her. So welcome, Melissa, to the show. Thank you so much. Wow, that was really interesting hearing about myself. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, right? That's but thank you so much well, you for having me. It. I mean, you have all the, the accolades and accomplishments and you've put all the work in, so you deserve to be celebrated. Thank you very much. So I'd love to open up the conversation for those who haven't heard of you, just a little bit about kind of what got you into the profession of where you are now. And was this something that you always wanted to pursue or was it something that organically developed, you know, just in your pursuit of your studies? Yeah, it's pretty interesting because it definitely hasn't been a linear path. And I started in nursing as a nurse, which actually came after a attempt at studying computer programming. So I went, which I forgot about. 
it's deep in my memory um so i started computer programming it wasn't really a fit mostly because of the calculus but something that still resonates is what i liked about the programming was solving the puzzle right mm -hmm. then i took a break and my dad said well what would you do if you didn't need any money but and I had always like I was born a healer, I would say I've always had this empathy, this love of helping people. And so that led me into nursing. And upon graduating from nursing, I worked in reproductive medicine. So, in, you know, with patients who are having issues with fertility work, mm -hmm. it's so I'm in Canada and while we have health care that is covered by the government, fertility more often than not is not. So it was very business, which didn't resonate with me for too long. And then I met an osteopath who I thought was like the coolest guy on the planet, wanted to be just like him. And it just percolated for a little while. And then I said to him, you know, what do you think about me kind of changing directions? And he was very supportive and ended up becoming my mentor. So that got me into osteopathy. That's when I, so I met him through um, jujitsu, through competing. He used to come in and treat the athletes. And then he already planted the seed about in, an interest in brain health. And then organically, I also developed an interest in brain health through my own little, maybe we can get into it later, but my own little brain struggles, which I had to essentially find my own way. So it was this invisible injury, you know, especially being a female, never mind a female healthcare provider. So I knew how to get through the system. And I was still sort of, oh, it's stress. It's nothing. You're imagining it. So that got me really interested in like the invisible injury and brain health. And yeah, and then here I am, essentially. I love that you're kind of alluding to brain injury as, as an invisible injury, because it's not something that we see. And we often don't, we take that for granted if it's something that's not in our immediate reality, like a broken arm or you know, torn shoulder, we don't think of it, but I mean, our brain influences so much. So I love that term, that invisible injury. Yeah, that's really cool. Well, I'm so happy that you're here and what a wild journey it's been. And the universe always aligns things perfectly to get you to where you are today. Absolutely. We, we, we can only understand it looking back, right? <laughs> Absolutely. 100%. So I'd love to start off with really basic kind of information for those who might not know, um, but like, what is a concussion? Like from a scientific standpoint, what's a concussion and, you know, what are the, the risks of concussion? Yeah, absolutely. So a concussion happens when we get a force that, you know, is applied either to the body, the neck or the head that causes the brain to shake inside the skull essentially. So it shakes, it disrupts the function of the brain. We call it a functional injury because things are not working quite as well. But if you get an MRI, it's going to be clear, right? It's not a brain bleed. It's not a tumor. So that's an important piece of information. If you get a concussion and you go to the ER and it's clear, that's how you want it essentially, right? You don't want anything showing up on imaging, but you're not going to feel well. 
And the reason is because just like when you hit your elbow, there's this inflammatory process that takes, you know, days, weeks, depending how bad the injury is. The same thing, or not the exact same, but something similar is going on inside the brain. There's this whole, we call it a metabolic cascade, and there are different parts to it. The first part is why you see stars, right? There's just a huge release of chemicals, and then there are various parts to it over around six weeks. So even if you're feeling better within a week, you're still not better, essentially under the hood, right? Yeah. There's not an efficient production of energy happening. And also you're using energy at a huge rate because your body is trying to restore itself, essentially. Yeah. And but one thing that's important to know is you need a certain amount of force to sustain a concussion. So for whiplash, for example, you need eight or 10 Gs of force. And comparably for a concussion, you need over 80. So oh. you there's always whiplash in a concussion, essentially, and you're more likely to get whiplash than a concussion. And it gets a little bit muddy because a lot of the symptoms of whiplash are concussion, but usually we treat as a concussion regardless. It's like, be conservative in your approach. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So that's a long-winded answer, but <laughs> yeah, no, that's really, really helpful to understand and just like, no, I think the, the force is a really big indicator too, you know, Absolutely. so like working with say clients or athletes, like, do you just generally, is it part of the like assessment process where you ask them like kind of what happened? And then that kind of gives you an idea of what it might be around, or is it more symptom related? Definitely take a history and yes, sports related concussion sports is the number one cause for like kids and young adults. But then as we get into older adulthood, and I mean like over 30, not aged, but like after you get out of, out of that young adulthood, um, it's motor vehicle accidents, falls, like all these other ways that you hit your head essentially. So we want to figure out, okay, what exactly happened and how much force was involved. Like if it's a motor vehicle accident, usually there's a whole bunch of things going on, right? Just because that's so much force. Yeah. Or were you, you know, wrestling and someone took you down in a way you weren't expecting it and then you hit your head. Yeah. So figuring out what happened. Um, some people also just like getting up and not paying attention and hitting their head on a cupboard or something that's open. So we have to say, okay, you know, how much force was involved and then if someone has already sustained a concussion in the past or within recent months, sometimes it's not a fresh concussion. If it's a small hit, it's just like, we call it a setback or a flare of symptoms. Um, I've had a bunch of patients this winter because we have snow where I am, where like snow would fall on their head and they would get a huge resurgence of symptoms, but it just, it wasn't enough to cause a concussion, but the body's reaction was, oh my God, this is happening again. So yeah. we cannot undermine the importance of the holistic like mindfulness because your brain will turn on symptoms in an instant when it is afraid, right? Yeah. Like fight or flight essentially can generate probably 90% of the symptoms of concussion. Yeah. Wow, that's really interesting to know. One of the things you had mentioned before, which I was just curious about, you had 
and it makes perfect sense because with any injury, our body's going to utilize the energy that we have to start that healing process. Mm-hmm. Um, so from like a, a nutritional standpoint or like a calorie standpoint, is there any protocols in regard to nutrition of like, whether it's just like eat what you're normally eating, whether it's, um, you know, changing up the way that you're eating, or is it increasing your calories, knowing that you're going to be doing that? Although maybe depending on the injury, they might be decreased in activity. Um, so like all of those different factors. Yeah, it's interesting. There's no like quote unquote concussion diet. We know certain things that don't work. For example, the regular diet, right? Of like pasta and IHOP or whatever it's called. (laughs) So we know that's not great. There is some evidence for the keto diet for other neurological conditions. So some practitioners will say, you know, if you can do keto in the early stages. Um, But what's most important is like I make everyone cut out gluten as best they can. That's usually a game changer. Um, No gluten, no dairy, like decrease on the inflammatory stuff. Definitely no alcohol Um, and eat high, like good quality food, but for sure everything, I would say fats, proteins, and then for carbs, the vegetables and fruits, you know, um, probably how most of your listeners are eating already, which is good, <laughs> hopefully, but then it sounds like just a healthy lifestyle, right? And then thinking about, okay, supplement wise, there is some research on creatine in the early stages, uh, improving recovery, especially when it comes to the mood stuff. Um, we usually recommend high dose fish oils. I think there actually is some new research on this, like high dose omegas, magnesium can be good, especially, well, a lot of people are deficient in it anyway, but if you're having trouble sleeping after a concussion, which often happens, and then if you're not sleeping, you feel like crap. So it's like this cycle. So sometimes we will recommend magnesium, And then depending on the practitioner, especially if you do see a naturopath, they will have little things that they'll tweak for sure. But I would say, um, yeah, just like healthy diet, uh, water for sure, creatine, magnesium, omegas are probably the big ones. Nice. Awesome. And I don't know if there's any specific like risk factors, but I'm curious. I know that we had had a conversation a while ago. And I believe I remember that women have a higher, greater risk than men um, for getting concussions. But are, in addition to that and expanding on that, are there any other like risk factors? Yeah, like, absolutely. Like that or pre-metabolic conditions or something. So definitely being a woman. So the change happens after puberty. puberty so it's definitely hormone related. Like as kids, and older adults, the risk is basically the same. But once women hit puberty, their risk of concussion overall is higher. And then their risk of post-concussion syndrome or persistent symptoms, which is essentially when your recovery takes a long time, is increased in the luteal phase of their cycle. And yeah, and I think we talked about this before where and I know you do this in your program, like cycle syncing, I think it's called, or, right? And so that 
could be, I don't think there's a lot of cycle syncing happening as a preventative for concussion, but where it could be helpful is return to play. So making sure you're not returning to play in that luteal phase when you're going to be at a risk for maybe getting another concussion. So that knowledge is really helpful. Then any sort of mood disorders, that is a risk factor for poor recovery. So if you already suffer from depression, anxiety, um, ADHD, migraines, oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I was going to say ADHD, migraines. Um, Oh, if you have any other hormone issues like hypothyroidism, but I usually say like, if you have any health issues, it's probably going to affect your either risk or recovery because your body, your brain is already working hard just to maintain homeostasis, right? So then you get this trauma thrown in, um, it's not necessarily great. And we can never prevent one concussions 100%, but just like knowing and then making some choices. Yes. <laughs> empowering, right? Yes, 100%. And so I love that. And in regard to identifying the symptoms of mm-hmm. concussion, you mentioned a couple, like maybe irritable sleep or not, or maybe some mood swings, but what are some of the most common symptoms that one can expect and to look out for, especially because you said the concussion phase could last up to six weeks. Yeah. So like, are there any that are delayed symptoms as well as like immediate symptoms, or is it just kind of like, it's different for everyone? Yes, definitely. Like right away, it's usually that dazed, confused, can get a headache, sometimes vomiting um, within, let's say, the first six hours. In and of itself, the vomiting isn't necessarily, you know, to ring the alarm. But if it's projectile vomiting, it's like immediately you should go to the ER. Okay. Um, Blurred vision. And then persisting over time, then you will get for sure headaches are super common. You can have different visual disturbances, whether it's eye pain or just eye fatigue. Screen sensitivity is usually early on or light sensitivity. And that one usually lingers for quite a while. It's a hard one to treat and manage. Um, On their phone and on their computer. Exactly, exactly, right? (laughs) And some people will get nausea, dizziness, sleep disturbances. And that one is vicious cycle, right? Because you need the sleep to recover. Irritability. What else? Um, Oh, brain fog for sure. And just like, quote unquote, not feeling like yourself. Yeah. I'd say those are probably the most common ones. So it's definitely a cornucopia. And some people will have all the symptoms and some people will just have one or two. Like it really depends. Do you recommend if somebody feels in their own like perspective that they may have hit their head in some type of blunt force way for instance I literally hit my head on the microwave constantly (laughs) but I know that I didn't necessarily get a concussion because of just like like you said that level of force but say someone does something where there there's that blurred line they're not quite sure maybe it's in training or something like that do you recommend people like go to an ER right away or kind of manage some symptoms and just keep a personal record for a few days? And if they're not like getting better, then go some seek a professional, you know, cause in the U S at least, you know, our healthcare isn't free. 
Right. So like that definitely plays a role in people wanting to take that extra step. Access care, right? So I would say definitely, actually I'm going to put something up. Definitely right at the time of injury, you will want to look out for the red flags. And in this case, you would want to go right to the ER. So if you lose consciousness, you actually should go to the ER, but only in 10% of concussions will you actually have a loss of consciousness. So it's way less than you think. Um, if you're having... Like, I feel like these are obvious, but we're going to go over them anyway. So if you have seizures or convulsions, uh, worsening headache, definitely, like I said, projectile vomiting, increasing confusion. Oh, yeah. If there's any bleeding involved, you'll want to go to the ER, slurred speech, um, or if you're getting like weakness in your arms or your legs, those it's like, okay, we can't even wait. We're going to go get checked out. Yeah. Otherwise, that. you still should circle around with someone, but maybe it's not as urgent. Yeah. Um, and then especially, hopefully, if you are, you know, on a sports team or part of a martial arts gym, you'll have ex access to someone who at least maybe you can message and be like, what do you think about this? I mean, a healthcare provider, not just a teammate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. And then nowadays, though, there are so many people who are available virtually. So yeah. even if you're in the States, you might be able to access a practitioner that yes, it will have a cost, but like very minimal as compared yeah. to going into the hospital. Yeah, exactly. And then in that first 24, 48 hours, we used to say, you know, lock yourself in a room. Well, thankfully, I never said this, but, um, <laughs> you know, lock yourself in a dark room until you feel better. But now we know that recovery is much more active. And, you know, we definitely want people to rest over the first couple of days, but then we're making uh, decisions around return to low level of activity. Um, yeah, essentially. Yeah, and that kind of leads me to my next point, which was, common myths around concussions and concussion recovery. And you kind of alluded to one of them being like, you know, lock yourself in a room and just rest in perpetuity. Right. <laughs> like, What is the recent research and the newest research saying as far as the recovery protocols for concussion? And what yes. are the myths that you can bust for us? So the myth, definitely the big one. And I just, it boggles my mind that people still get this advice because the research is so far into like there are very few things that we can say with certainty in science yeah. but this research is like as close to certainty as you can get and that is yeah it's there's been many 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 studies and also a meta-analysis which is where you like take all the studies and combine the results and then they compared all those results to rest, essentially. And what we know is early intervention is associated with a better outcome. And so that can look like at about 48 hours, better to be guided by a practitioner because we measure your heart rate, your rate of perceived exertion. But essentially, we're starting you slowly on aerobic exercise um, for blood flow circulation, right? Helping with drainage pretty early on and then slowly increasing this over time. And that's at 48 hours, we can, in most cases, like depends if it's a motor vehicle accident, maybe not, but early. 
right, compared to what we used to say. So 48 hours, we're looking at activity um, and actually rest is detrimental. Like that's what the evidence says. So you definitely want to be seeking out some sort of guidance. We don't want you training at 48 hours, but we don't want you in a dark room. <laughs> so that is like, that balance. Right. So that is the really big myth that has to be busted across the nation. Um, and then what and is it hard to rest to kind of add to that as far as a myth? I know that one thing that like was in my sphere for a long time, as far as what I believed was helpful was like, what about sleep? I know rest, oh, yes. not necessarily sleep, but mm-hmm. a lot of people, you know, there's either like sleep it off or don't sleep at all. Don't even blink or right. you might never wake up. Yes. Oh, that's such a good question. So we used to say, wake someone up every hour or something crazy like that, but you can wake anyone up every hour and they're going to feel like crap the next day. Like they're going to feel like they have a concussion, right? So you don't need to wake people up every hour. They can go to sleep. You want to check in on them though, right? Just make sure they're okay, but no waking up. You can go to sleep. Usually we'll say sleep at night, right? Like sleep at night because you don't want to disrupt your Uh, circadian rhythm but if you have to take naps in the afternoon especially in the early stages where this there's this huge metabolic crisis essentially um definitely rest is is okay and then when you're awake you can be walking around um doing light things that don't trigger your symptoms too much for in terms of phone use the evidence says like less than an hour a day in the early stages so well, you can say don't them. use it at all, but now it's it says apparently you can use it a little bit. But for some people, it's so triggering. Oh wow, interesting. So, yeah, do you think it has to do specifically with like blue light? So there are a bunch of different like filters you can use to help it a little bit. It is the it's the flicker that's the issue though. So okay. in a in the phone, it's the flicker rate is different than on a laptop. And then you can get flicker free monitors, which I think if you're working in an office job, you should just have because otherwise it's like a strobe light. Yeah. You know, eight okay. hours a day <laughs> just right into your brain, essentially. Um, but then you can download different like there's one I believe you would call it an app. It's called F-Lux and it's free. And that lets you dim the settings on your laptop quite well. And then I usually recommend people put dark mode on their phone. I mean, those are just strategies, but just to help people get by essentially. Yeah, yeah. That can be helpful. Awesome. Um, And then, yeah, another myth, which I kind of alluded to is that you have to lose consciousness to sustain a concussion, which is like, Totally untrue. Um, yes, because only 10% or so of people who get a concussion actually lose consciousness. So, wow. It's, yeah. So, it might be our concussions potentially more prevalent than most people might think because of that? I think so. Or I, I would say it used to be that way. Now that there's so much, at least it seems in Canada, but I'm assuming in the States too, so much awareness around concussion. Like it's all over the news, you know, all over Instagram. So people are more um, alert, essentially, or tuned in that, oh, I might've sustained a concussion. And I don't know if it's 
to a detriment. Like we have to create a fine balance because I feel like some, for some people, it's almost what's it called? Um, Self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Because you will have a small hit that probably wasn't enough force to sustain a concussion, but then that stress response has just driven your your brain and body into fight or flight. 100%, yeah. Definitely makes it worse than it is. (laughs) Absolutely. And actually, an interesting thing that... um, And I was surprised because it came from a physician and they're not always like mindfulness based. But this one was saying right now, after like all the craziness of the last three years, that we should be doing 10 times as much for our mindfulness and our nervous system than we were before. Wow. That was like, I don't know, that's pretty profound because it just shows, wow, it's even more than I thought. That, that we're needing to do to like nurture that um, calm essentially. And yeah. all healing happens in the calm, right? You can't heal where you're like running around like, oh my God, I'm late. I, this is, I have this to do. Absolutely. And that kind of leads me to one little aside to insert about like breath work. Has that ever been something that you integrate with your clients? Yes, absolutely. I do it um, to a, what would you say? Like to different degrees, depending where the person is coming from, because, you know, some people haven't taken a proper breath since 1982. So for them, we have to start small. And usually I start with, okay, I just need you to do four breaths (laughs) where you elongate on the exhale. And then with other people, there are more you know, on board and ready to go. And then we'll do more of it. But there actually was a recent study that showed early exercise plus breath work is associated with even better results in terms of concussion recovery. And I mean, also that's brain health. Concussion recovery is brain health. Like they're basically the same thing, right? Move your body, eat well, do some breath work. (laughs) right that's like basically all it comes down to right. I would love that study if you have access to that yes. if you're able to like send it I'll to send me, it. I would love that and I could put it in the show notes for anyone interested in the scientific details but that's definitely something that interests me so yes. um the com- combination of those things and seeing and those tangibility logical too but I find that it's so funny because it's logical to me and I'm sure it's logical to you but we yeah. still you know people doubt it until it's written in a paper and it drives my mind. (laughs) Yes, I know. Oh, I know. So you had mentioned brain health and concussion recovery kind of being one in the same. So I'd love for you to speak a little bit to like the chronic concussions and maximizing brain health after a life of having multiple injuries and just brain health in general. Yeah. So definitely, especially athletes, or, and sometimes workplace injuries, you can have like multiple injuries over many years. And then especially how we approach them has changed. So maybe they were ignored for all those years, but there's still potential for healing, right? Like our brain, our bodies were designed to heal. Um, and then, or maybe you have poor brain health because you just partied and ate tacos for 20 years. And then, but there's still potential, you know, when you're ready to commit to your brain health. And it's all about a personalized approach, right? So seeing, okay, what is happening in different areas of health? So is it brain fog, memory, um, mood, 
Um, is it more physical symptoms? And then is there, do they exercise or not? Are they over-exercising? Like where are the areas where we can move the needle? And usually I say there are pillars. So one is yes, movement, exercise. Then there is metabolic inflammation that we would wanna address whether with diet, supplements, hydration. Um, then mindfulness for sure. So breath work, meditation, etc. Mood, which might involve involving someone who is a professional in that area. Yeah. And oh yeah. And then ocular motor vestibular, which means like, how are your eyes moving? How is your balance system working? Um, to make sure you know where you are in space, because yeah. especially as you age, your biggest risk is falling. Yeah. Right? Falling, like I'm terrified, like falling, breaking a hip, breaking a wrist. And in the older ages, so let's say 65 plus, um, women actually sustain more concussions and it's from falls. Yeah. So definitely building your resilience as, you know, whenever you are ready to, it's a good thing to just ensure that, all your years of life are as, you know, quality filled as possible. Yeah, absolutely. And do they have to, people who have chronic conditions, is it just like maintaining that healthy lifestyle or do they have to like see professionals like on a consistent basis? So usually like if someone came to me and said, okay, I feel like reasonably good, but so I always say there's always another level, right? Like you might yeah. feel good, but there's this whole other level that you can gain access to. Maybe there'll be a couple of sessions reasonably close together, like two over two or three weeks, and then kind of go into tune-up mode, essentially. Like you're given the tools and then you circle back because often we fall off, right? We need that accountability and then maybe tweak things. Yeah. Um, as we go. So it's not as intense as like when someone comes to see me with a concussion, I usually want to see them six weeks in a row before we start to taper. Yeah. So okay. it's a little bit more intensive, but for, for optimizing brain health, quote unquote, usually it can be like a couple of sessions. And this is actually something that you could do well virtually. I always like the first session to be in person if possible. So I can like actually feel what's going on with the tissue, but then you can monitor virtually, which is cool. Yeah. Yeah. Really cool. Awesome. And another thing that you kind of have an expertise in, I know you mentioned like hormones and concussion mm -hmm. recovery, as well as like sex and gender differences. Um, you want to speak to that a little bit? Yeah. So uh, like women, we get the short end of the stick, stick a little bit because of our hormones, but I guess we also get some pretty cool abilities because of them. <laughs> but yeah, so your hormones, actually male hormones can also be disrupted after concussion. So I'll speak to that. But for women, our periods can get disrupted. You can miss a period, you can get some extra ones. You can lose your period for months. And that we believe it's because there are little micro injuries that happen to the blood vessels, essentially, that are involved in communicating the hormones between like our pituitary gland and our ovaries. So that gets disrupted and then our cycle is disrupted, although the ability to conceive does not seem to be affected, which is good. But for those few months while, while your cycle is getting back on board, that's just going to amplify the symptoms of not feeling well, not feeling like yourself. 
Um, and also if you get PMS, it's usually worse as you're recovering from a concussion. Um, yeah, so there are a number of things there that are related to our menstrual cycle. And then with men, you'll get like a lack of morning erection if the testosterone has dropped or for them, they'll feel depressed. And if it's prolonged, um, like weakness and even muscle loss. So it's actually, I mean, of course, they're going to notice a lack of morning erection, but the other things are not as like, who isn't depressed and, you know, just sloshing around. So, yeah, well, not, but, but it's like, it's common things that are non-specific and that's the problem because then people are not as likely to get checked out. Yeah, exactly. Because like you said, like, unfortunately, you know, many people have a past medical history of depression or, you know, anxiety, and it's unrelated to concussion. So at least they have that other second marker that they know that if it doesn't happen in the morning, go to the ER, (laughs) it's an emergency. (laughs) Yes, it's really complex. Um, What would you call it? Like orchestra that our, our health is, which is pretty, is pretty cool, right? And when it's working well, it's work, it's great. But when it's not, it needs a little bit of, needs a little help from your friends, essentially. Yeah, absolutely. Is there any other like final advice you have for anyone who's looking to optimize their brain health as they age? I know I do have a lot of women, um, which you'd spoke to hormones, but I know I have a lot of women in my audiences that are like perimenopausal, menopausal, which hormonal changes are coming with that. Um, but just as we age in general, even for the youngins, like, you, you know, the, I'm always focused on like, focus on your longevity, which as yes. a 18 year old, as a 20 year old, it isn't the focus for them. And, you know, it needs to be so that you're not doing it. 30 years here and wishing that you would have, you know, so one thing, and I'm not an expert in this, but I know, and you probably can speak to this as women are hitting perimenopause, like the diet habits of the past are not going to work for you. And so like that intermittent fasting is not going to be great. The ketogenic diet I know is not great. And, um, and apparently you get to have more carbs. So I've heard. <laughs> so yes. what I would say is align yourself with someone who knows more than me around the diet, because it can be, diet is medicine, right? Like what we put into our body. So yeah. um, be empowered to use it that way, use that fuel. Um, but also the type of exercise we do is going to change. So definitely in your 30s, you should be adding in like weights and resistance work. Even if you're someone like me and you just love the cardio, (laughs) right? Like what we, how we move our body as we age kind of needs to change a little bit. And again, just thinking of prevention, like a strong body is gonna be, is going to be resilient for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's really interesting about like that diet piece Um, because, you know, many people, especially when they're in like the sports world, if they are diving into either the, the fad diets or the weight cutting diets, or even like the keto and they're doing that. And even if it's working for them now, because of those hormone changes, you know, and all of that stuff sometimes, and those cravings come online, you know, it can just be like a big mess because there's a lot of like 
guilt around like oh, having so babies, you know, and it's like, I think it's empowering to know that the body actually needs them regardless, like your whole lifespan. So like, there's no point in doing those diets now, which is what I yes. preach. A balanced yes. way of eating is always the best. And it's going to set you up for more success. I feel based off what you've said when you get older, because you're not going to be adjusting to like a new way of eating, which can cause a little bit of weight gain. It can cause like those shifts that most people say that happens during those, that age is like, oh, I start to gain weight. And it's like, I wonder if you're just doomed to gain weight or have you been chronically dieting and now your diet has shifted and your body's metabolism is messed up. And, and that's why, and because that's been the whole, you know, cycle, that's where like the trend is coming from, but it's not an end all be all, you know, as soon as you hit menopause, you have to gain weight. Yeah. And I'm glad you said that because, um, I have so many colleagues that focus their, their naturopaths and they focus on that perimenopause stage. And my recommendation would be when you start noticing some changes happening, get align yourself with someone or at the very least start going online and finding people who work in that area because you don't need to suffer right? Like women, we've been told, oh, you know, you'll lose your memory and get hot flashes and gain weight. And that's it. You're done. You might as well just lock yourself in a dark room for the rest of your life. But actually, you don't have to. There are, yes, a lot of ways we can um, take action and take action early to make sure it's as smooth as possible. Um, Yes. So definitely, like, you don't need to be like, quote, unquote, I don't want to use the word victim, but you don't have to let your health happen to you, no matter what age you are, right? You can just, you just need a little bit of tweaking as you go. (laughs) Yeah. And I think it's so important as like a final statement, because we're just kind of speaking to like that tweaking and that adapting. And I think that's the biggest mindset shift people need to have. So many people are stuck in like all or nothing mentality, everything. And if you keep with that mentality, it's detrimental in thousands of ways that I've addressed on this podcast in numerous episodes. But from this perspective too, you know, if you're not open to that adaptation and tweaking, you're just setting yourself up for failure. And I think on the flip side, it actually should feel more liberating to know that you can adjust and make fixes like that to me, when someone gives me that like permission, that sound that feels more liberating to me to be like, Oh, I don't have to keep myself in this box. Oh, I can make these shifts. Oh, that's how my body is supposed to work as we age. And like just making sense of it all versus making it feel like, why don't I fit into this box? And it's like, you're not supposed to. Absolutely. I love that. It is like we have choices and we get to decide. Yes. Which is amazing. Yes. (laughs) Essentially. Amazing. (laughs) Thank you so much for all of this amazing wisdom. And as far as how people can communicate with you, what is the best ways to do that? I'll put it all in the show notes. Yeah. So definitely um, via Instagram is the best place to find me and where I'm active the most. And my Instagram handle is concussionrehab.ca. And then when I have new uh, podcast episodes, I do post it there and it's the Brainiac podcast, but I would say everything goes through my Instagram. So hopefully you have Instagram as much as I hate to say that because I want to be off Instagram, but until I'm off, I'm on. So, (laughs) So And uh, yeah, I'd love to have you there.
Yes, go check her out. Um, we'll have everything in the show notes for you to check out as well as that article. We'll have um, her Brainiac podcast as well. Again, it goes filtered through the, the, her Instagram. So that's going to be the place to go. Chill, hang out, say hi, shoot her a message, let her know what you learned. You can tag us on Body by Boss LLC as well. We would love to hear any takeaways that you had. And thank you again, Melissa, for spending some time with us and sharing your knowledge. Okay. Amazing. Thanks so much for having me.